Okay. So when I was first asked to give this talk, um, I did not pick the sovereignty of God. I wanted to do something a little more lighter. I wanted to do like Bible study methods or something kind of fun and enjoyable. Um, <laughs> but um, this year has been a year. And of all of my friends and all of my family, every conversation that I've had all year long, it has always boiled down to the sovereignty of God. And the topic just kind of chased me all year long. And so finally I gave in. So tonight we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God. A good friend of mine compared her life to a roller coaster the other day. And it stuck with me. I remember my first time on a roller coaster. I was at the fair. I was in middle school. And I was with my brother Leif. And I remember getting into the roller coaster. And it was a big deal because I was um, the youngest of four with all boys above me. And so mom was pretty protective. But she had sent me to the fair with Leif alone. And so I got to go on the roller coaster. And so I remember the, the big thing kind of coming down and strapping you in. And I remember that, that clickety, 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 click as it inches, you know? Yeah, and it kind of builds the excitement. I remember I felt really safe. I felt secure. I felt really excited. I was like, dude, look how high I am. Like, everyone looks so tiny. And it was great until I hit that moment where you curve over the top and you see that you're going into absolutely nothing. And I remember curving over the top and everything changed. Down we fell at lightning speed. It was bumpy and windy and breathtaking. It was confusing. I remember it went upside down at one point and it totally gripped me with fear. And I remember I screamed every second. Like, like I was that annoying kid that just never stopped screaming. And my brother just laughed. He loved it. I remember having to pretend the rest of the night that I didn't want to throw up. Trying to be all cool, you know, like my big brother. But I never knew that I could feel so out of control. Out of control are powerful words. Most of us don't like to be out of control. We want to be the master and commander of our own ship. We want to be the creators of our own destiny. We plan our days and we map out our years and we create immediate and short-term and long-term goals for ourselves, our marriages, our careers, our children, and our lives. And even those of us, like myself, who are not really control freaks, we're more free-spirited, even those people like me have a strong, independent streak that loves to say, you are not the boss of me. We are all people who love to be in control, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it works. I mean, sometimes life is really fun. We're on the ride of our life, and the sun is shining, and the wind is blowing, and we're kind of you know, doing this with our hand out the car window, and life is going good, you know, metaphorically. And some of you are in this phase. It's a happy, easy phase. A phase where it's really easy to think, I've got this. I'm doing really great. Are you in that phase right now? If so, I am really glad for you. Really happy for you. And that's a fun phase to be in. We've all had moments where God gives us great peace and things just move along smoothly. This talk is still for you, though, even if you don't realize how badly you need it. In easier times, it can be hard to remember to lean into God's sovereignty. So tonight, let it be a reminder and a self-check. But for some of us, this is not the easier phase. And problems have arised. The roller coaster track ahead has become unclear. The little bumps have turned into these huge dips and swirls. And we feel like we're speeding into dark tunnels that we can't find our way out of. 
Your marriage turns cold. Your child screams they hate you. Your parents are passing away. You lose your job, or your best friend, or your home, or your boyfriend that you had such high hopes for. Maybe your bank account is empty. Maybe you got a bad diagnosis. Maybe your faith just feels really dry and empty for the first time in your life, and it just shook you. So take a second right now and think, what is it that you're facing that feels out of control? Think about your life. What feels annoying or unfixable or unexpected? What is causing a struggle or doubt? What feels like it's falling apart? And I want you to keep that thing in mind as we go through the night. Difficulties in a fallen world are common. 1 Peter 4 says, don't be surprised when you're faced with various difficulties, but somehow we're still always surprised when we're faced with various difficulties. We think, what? Wait a minute. What's going on with this? What's going on? Some of us just want the things to go away. We like to hide. We like to pretend like it's not happening. Slink away quietly. And we say, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But some of us are a little more bold and we want to scream. We want to complain. We want to shake our fists in the air and say, we don't deserve this thing. When things feel out of control, it can be easy to grow resentful and bitter and lose hope. And various questions arise within our hearts. We ask, who caused this thing? Who can fix this thing? Who's really in charge here? Tonight we're going to begin to answer this question. When you talk about the sovereignty of God, it brings up all kinds of questions, and I'm not answering them all because I don't know them. (laughs) But we're going to talk about finding hope and comfort in God's sovereignty because of who God is himself. So what is God's sovereignty? We should define that before we move on. I bought like a billion books. I read so many books this year. And I found about a million different definitions of God's sovereignty, and some of them were pages long, just the definition. So instead, we're going to turn to the Bible. Here are some of the verses I found on God's sovereignty. I am God, and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose. Whatever I please, I do, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. I work all things according to the counsel of my will. Wisdom and might belong to me. I change times and seasons, I remove kings and I set up kings, and the king's heart is a stream of water in my hand, says the Lord, I will turn it wherever I will. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against me. No purpose of mine can be thwarted. I do according to my will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay my hand or say to me, what have you done? There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work. And who can turn it back? I make poor and I make rich. I bring low and I exalt. As I have planned, so it shall be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. As I read those verses, to me, my definition for tonight is going to be God is and he reigns. God is and he reigns. He reigns over his creation. He reigns over wars and peace, over kings and powers. He knows all the past and all the future, and he declares what will be. No one can stop him. No one can question him with any authority, and nobody can deny it. God is, and he reigns. 
biblical narratives show us some of his sovereignty. Baby Moses, he's floating in a basket down the river. He does not get eaten by a hippo. He gets found by a princess of Egypt. What are the odds? Why? Because God ordained the moving of the currents of the river to take him where he was supposed to be. Joseph is beaten and sold by his brothers into a life of hardship and eventually leadership. Why? Because God sovereignly planned his moving from slave to prisoner to leader for the purpose of salvation for an entire nation. Even Joseph acknowledges this and says, what you have meant for evil, God meant for good. And our best example is the cross. The followers of Jesus could not see the purpose when they were standing at the foot of the cross watching him bleed and die. Imagine the fear that they must have felt. Think of the confusion of what was going on. And you and I, we know that same fear and confusion when we face unknown things in our lives, don't we? We have a taste of that. But Acts 2.23 clearly tells us that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plans and foreknowledge of God. God was sovereign over the cross. It wasn't until Sunday morning that those disciples discovered that the cross was an essential part of God's good and sovereign plan on display. God was in control of his own son's death, and without that sovereignty, there would be no salvation for us. The most terrible event in human history led to the most glorious good, and that should bring us hope for whatever we are facing in our lives. All throughout scripture, we see God controlling the tiniest details of the lives of individuals, as well as planning and shaping the future of entire nations. There has never been a moment when he's not been in control, not in human history and not in your personal history. God is and he reigns over the story of your life. Psalm 139 declares, in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there were not one of them. Every single day has been ordained. In Matthew, Jesus said that God the Father is sovereign over the death of every sparrow, even knowing the number of hairs on your head. If he directs the lives of tiny birds, how much more will he direct the children that he calls his own? If he cares about the hair on my head, how much more will he care about the things that are burdening my heart? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Your salvation and your good works are shaped by the sovereignty of God. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Your plans and your life choices are directed by the sovereignty of God. Every moment of joy, every time you have laughed, think about the last time you laughed so hard that it was, you know, ugly. God was sovereign over that. Every time a friend has taken your hand and given you a hug, it has been from the loving hand of God, planned out from before you were born. Many friends hugged me tonight. Each one of them was a sweet gift from God. When someone says you're beautiful, when someone says you are not alone, hear the voice of God behind it because he's sovereign over that moment. He is sovereign over traffic lights, flat tires, and job offers. Clumsiness, lost wallets, beautiful sunsets, salvation, good works, and your love of scripture. 
Your health, your marriage, your kids, your finances, your job, your faith, and your understanding. Every moment of joy, every moment of weeping, and all those boring moments in between. These are all inside the wise sovereignty of God. He is in control even when he looks like he isn't. Because no detail is too small and no task too big. So... He's sovereign over great and world-shaping events, wars, hurricanes, and the global economy. He's sovereign over you and me in our kitchens and in our cars and in this very room right now. Nothing has ever come into your life that has not been decreed and allowed because God directs all things freely according to his good wisdom and plan. God's care and his power is constant and unchanging and never lets up for a moment. And because your moments are planned by God, they all have meaning. This is how vast and uncomprehensible and detailed the God we serve is. But this truth, no matter how awe-inspiring, fights with something deep inside of us. Something inside of us says, no, wait, I am, and I reign. Of course, we would never say it out loud like that because you can hear the arrogance immediately. But this is our functional reality, whether we admit it or not. I am, and I reign. I love this quote by Sproul. He says, most Christians salute the sovereignty of God, but they believe in the sovereignty of man. (laughs) That's me. It's so easy to do. We all have moments when things are going well. We're strapped in that roller coaster car, and we think, things are going pretty good. My marriage is pretty fun. People at church think my kids are cute. My career is moving forward. I take pretty good care of myself. I drink the weird smoothies and hit the gym on very rare occasion. I got this. Life is going good. I am driving my ship sure and, stre- sure and steady, strong and straight. When life is going smoothly, we don't have to face our functional sovereignty. We can cruise along and not even notice that we're relying on ourselves. We give God our lip service, but ultimately we're just working really hard, living a life of I am and I am. We aren't even praying about stuff. Because really, it's all going fine without God's help. Lack of prayer is the first sign of self-reliance. It is a sign of pride. And I'm very guilty of it. We only ask for help when we think we need help. You know, when people ask you that question, if you could go back in time and change any one thing about your life, what would it be? I would pray. I would pray more. I would throw myself at the mercy of God and I would pray. I'd probably also exercise, but I would pray mostly. I get credit because prayer is my first answer. I would want to recognize God's sovereignty over my life and over my husband and over my children and over my mom and dad. I would want to recognize that he alone has power over things and I would pray for them because the Bible says that prayer moves the heart of God. We cruise through life and we think we're doing so good. But then difficulty, hardship, and even little bumps on the track come along and they burst our illusion. We reach the top of that first roller coaster curb and we gasp. And that curve is different for everyone. Maybe a parent needs to move in and require full-time care. Maybe your marriage suddenly takes a nosedive and the only thing you think of when your husband takes off his shirt is great more laundry. Maybe you wake up one day with excruciating pain and the doctors just stare at you blankly. They have no answers. So many people 
I've had so many conversations with people this year, and it's so varied what everybody is facing with, and yet the hope is always the same. God is sovereign over these things. Maybe those around you, people you dearly love, begin to suffer, and you can't fix it. Maybe you're doubting your faith. Maybe you long for something more. Maybe you're filled with regrets, or whatever it is that came to mind earlier when I asked you. You find yourself thinking, wait, hold on. I was just handling this so well. I did all the right things. I followed the books. I listened to the sermons. I read a chapter in Proverbs every night. I ate the green stuff. I said the magic words. I respected my husband. I did the family devotions. I served in the nursery. And I go to home group. Where are the results that I was promised? Does anyone relate to that question? Where are the results I was promised? What is happening? What sin do I need to confess? Just tell me and I will confess it. For those of you here tonight who need to hear it, I want to tell you this. God is not punishing you for some secret sin. Christ took all of our punishment at the cross. There is none left for you. If God wants you to confess something, he will bring it to mind very specifically. He will not give you this general feeling of condemnation and try to make you figure it out. He will tell you exactly what to confess so that, so that you can enter into the rest. Not that you can walk around feeling extra condemned. He will, he will convict you so that you confess, so you can find freedom. Don't go searching. Do not go digging for a secret sin. Anyways, when bumps come, you think to yourself, this must be my fault. I should be able to fix this. What did I do wrong? But let me tell you this, the very fact alone that we ask ourselves, what did I do wrong, shows us that we have ultimately been relying on ourselves the whole time. Paul Tripp says this, I'm tempted to give myself comfort by convincing myself that I am more control over people, places, and things than I actually have. We want to believe that if we eat the right things and do the right exercises, we can control our health. We buy into thinking that if we parent our children well, we can guarantee that they will adopt our values. We want to believe that if we budget well, invest wisely, and save carefully, we can assure a good financial future. We want to think that if we dedicate ourselves to a loving marriage, we can secure its health and permanence. These are all good things to do, but the assumption that doing them controls the outcome is just not true. Hardship has the power to burst our illusions of self-sovereignty. We say, I feel like I've lost control, but the reality is, is we never had control to begin with. Not really. It's so easy to go to the seminars and join the book clubs. The problem with all these great books is that very few of them point out our powerlessness to the extent that we should feel it. You don't usually finish one of these great books and say to yourself, oh, I'm going to throw myself on the grace of God and pray continually for my children, my dating life, my marriage, my finances, my job, and my life. Usually we finish these great books and we write up a little list of things that we're going to do to implement what we've learned and we feel so strong and useful and important and we think now everything will be okay. But it's not always okay. At least not our version of okay no matter how hard we try. And don't get me wrong, we're important. We're very important. 
We should read the books and we should learn the things and we should apply them. I'm not saying that at all. What we do matters. It really matters. It matters to God and to the people around us and to ourselves. Trusting in God's sovereignty should never lead to a lack of obedience. But God has said that he is in control and that he has a wise and loving plan. And yet he invites us to join in with obedience and prayer. But he has never, ever asked us to run the show. I parent to the very best of my ability, and then I must trust what God sovereignly does in the lives of my children. I remain patient, and I have to trust God with my dating. I work to love and serve my husband, and then I have to trust God with my marriage. I try to stay healthy, and then I trust God with the results. All I can control, really, I mean, if anything, is just my obedience. I don't control the outcomes. The weight and the responsibility of the results are God's. Both good and bad actions make a difference, but they do not make the ultimate difference. When we feel like we are the main operating force in our lives and the lives of the people around us, we begin to take on more than we can handle, and we begin to put a heavy yoke and burden on our own shoulders that we were never meant to carry. And we begin to take credit for things, both good and bad. We take glory for the things that go well, sometimes subtly, and then we take blame for the things that go poorly. We add to our suffering, we add to our guilt, we add to our regret when we assume that we have a power that we never actually had. When we say everything I do matters, it's all up to me, we are effectively worshiping ourselves as sovereign, and we aren't. So it's painful to realize we're not in control of everything. It's a loss, really, this illusion that I'm the boss. But it is a truth that I have found brings great freedom. Living a life of I am and I reign will always lead to heaviness, both when things are going well and when they are not. We will feel burdened beyond compare. We are in the greatest danger when we feel stronger than we are or stronger than we ever could be. Only when we let go of control can we really find the comfort and the hope of knowing that God controls our lives. Only when we abandon this fierce and strong independence can we finally sit and take a breath and relax and know that God's got this. He's in control. He is. And he reigns. And no one but him can move the unmovable and accomplish the impossible in our lives. We can be thankful that with God all things are possible. When we like God's sovereign plan, we don't really hardly notice it. It's already fun. It's already easy. We just kind of sit back and enjoy it. But when we don't like his plan, when he brings in things we don't want, it can bring with it a real sense of fear. What if God sovereignly wants me to feel pain? What if God's will is not my own? Joni Erickson Tata says that God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Well, that's all good. A part of me wants to look up to God and say, okay, I understand this might be for my good, but I don't like this. I don't want this. I would much rather grow in my faith with a sovereign plan that includes a field of wildflowers, Brian singing to me, and a Big Mac and a large Coke in each hand. Can I have that sovereign plan? How about we just skip the painful parts? 
The sovereignty of God, his complete control, can make us very fearful. Piper says this, You are not irrational to tremble at the absolute sovereignty of God over your life. It is true that God can do whatever he wants. Indeed, he does do whatever he wants. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. The person who does not tremble at this has simply not faced up to the power of God, greater than a billion hydrogen bombs, or the holiness of God, a purity burning like a million galaxies, or the mysteries of God, acting in ways that none but he can fathom. You are not irrational to tremble before such a God. You would be crazy if you didn't. So how do we overcome our fear and instead find hope and comfort in the sovereignty of God? First, we have to view the sovereignty of God through the lens of the full picture of who God is. Here's what I mean. So God is beautiful in all his glory. But A.W. Pink says that beauty is a matter of proportion. If we were to take a beautiful face and we were just to focus on one part of the face, let's just say the eyes, and we were to make them bigger and bigger and bigger until they overpowered the whole face, it would become distorted, it would become even ugly. So often, that is what we do with the attributes of God. We focus on them one at a time. If you focus on one attribute alone, you get a caricature of God. You know what I mean? Like the, the street artists that look at your face and they take the one thing you don't like about your face and they make it like twice as big as it should be. We don't want a cartoon of God who only loves us but winks at sin, or is all wrath and no mercy, or all transcendence and no eminence. We want the real thing. We need the whole package. We want to look at a God that declares all these great things about himself. He gives us in scripture a good, true, and clear picture of who he is, and that is the God we need to see. The attributes of God are like a beautiful work of art. You can't paint a picture of just one attribute and study it for very long before all the other attributes begin to sneak in. It's like watercolors. The red love and the navy wisdom kind of mix with the yellow holiness and the golden faithfulness and the pure green goodness of God. With watercolors, you can't keep the colors separated for very long. They bleed into each other, and that's what makes them beautiful. You just can't keep God's attributes separated for very long. Piper says, keep God's attributes in a living, dynamic relation to each other. Let each one have its emotional and intellectual effect on each of the others. When we want to find hope and comfort in God's sovereignty, we cannot just look at his sovereignty alone. Because God's sovereignty is intermingled with all the rest of his character. If God were just simply sovereign, he would be terrifying. But he is not simply sovereign. He is far from simply sovereign. He is all the wonderful things he has declared himself to be, and all his attributes are commingled together to form a perfect, holy, and good God. So his sovereignty is wise. Nothing is a surprise. Nothing is haphazard. His sovereignty is merciful. He is gentle with the brokenhearted. His sovereignty is powerful. He can actually do anything. The things that you see in your life where you think that's impossible, he can actually do that. His sovereignty is holy. It is pure without fault or defect. His sovereignty is kind, perfectly good, perfectly patient, perfectly faithful, perfectly unchanging, and his sovereignty is love. This is the God that we run to. He's not only sovereign, but he is personal. 
He is sovereign for you, the child that he carefully knit together in the womb. He is good to you. He is powerful for you. He is faithful to you. He is loving to you, and he is gracious to you. He exercises his sovereignty with the love of a father toward you, his beloved and precious child. God has been working good for you since the dawn of time to now, to the very day of his return. So whatever you're facing tonight, whatever you're looking up at that seems impossible or senseless, if you're going to listen to one sentence, this is the one. Ready? There is a redemptive purpose for everything that enters your life because it is ordained by a redemptive God. He is a redeemer. So everything that he brings into your life will have a redemptive purpose even when we can't see it. You can believe that he is good even when you don't understand his goodness. You can believe he is wise even when you don't understand his wisdom. And you can believe that he is sovereign even when you don't understand his plan. And this is how sovereignty differs from faith. I have a lot of people say, well, that's just fate. But fate is nameless. It's faceless. It's characterless. It's this power that has no reason or ultimate purpose. It is cold and random, and it leads to hopelessness. Sovereignty is the purposeful plan of a real God who loves us with a passion. That's how sovereignty leads to hope and comfort. Because my hope and comfort lies in a person. A person who loves me and sees me and is fully able to bring all good to my life. A God who has walked where I walked. He understands the pain of this world, and he promises not to waste a single tear. Often when we want to seek answers, what we really need to do is seek God. He is our hope and our comfort. We want to know why, but we need to know him. God is, and he reigns, and in his sovereign power, he promises He proclaims promises that are true and real and trustworthy. If he weren't sovereign, he couldn't fulfill these promises. But he is, so he can. And he has promised us so many things. He will be our God and we will be his people. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will write your name on the palm of his hands. God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. His power will be made perfect in your weakness. He will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with his righteous right hand. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you always. His goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. He will raise you from the dead, imperishable. He will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body. And he will wipe every tear from your eye. And he can do this because he is sovereign and he is God. He will do all these things without fail. He will fulfill every promise because he is sovereign over everything. He can do all things and nobody can stop him. This is the foundation of our hope when we are faced with things we don't like. This is the source of our comfort. We know who our God is and what he has promised. He is and he reigns. God's sovereignty is a really good deal. I think I want to be in control, but he is more loving than me. He is more patient than me, more wise, more good, more just, and more holy than I am. 
Would I really want to be left to my own hands? Would I really want to trust my children to my limited power and wisdom? Do I want to trust my marriage to my limited kindness and patience? Can I work all things for good? Am I able whatsoever to finish what God has started? It's not foolish for us to trust God's sovereignty, knowing who he is and all he has promised to do. It would be foolish for us not to trust God's sovereignty. So no matter what phase you are in, an easy one or a bumpy one, ask yourself, am I trusting a sovereign God with the direction and the results of my life? Spurgeon says, the sovereignty of God is like a pillow upon which you lay your head. So whatever is happening in your life, whatever is making you feel out of control like a roller coaster ride, whatever is in need of redirection or redeeming in your life, come and rest. Rest your head and rest your heart in the sovereignty of God. What better hands could we ever hope to lay our lives into? I'm going to close with Psalm 33. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God, and all my times are in your hand. God is, and he reigns. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rondi. I really appreciate, I know all of us do, um, just the time that you put into studying and praying and preparing um, to bless us with that hope and comfort and encouragement. And um, I don't know, just as I was thinking on that, as I just was kind of struck at thinking of the different seasons that you're mentioning that every single one of us is in. There's people who are still under the care of their parents and there are people who are newly married or having babies for the first time or um, are watching their parents get older and their kids move out of the house. Just every single one of us is in a different season um, and God is sovereignly holding every single one of our situations together and what a comfort and a hope that really is. Um, but it's such a comfort to me to know that he didn't leave us on our own that he's given us each other, and that is such a blessing. So when I forget that, and I want to hold tight to my own control, because <laughs> I like it a lot, I can see people already in this room who have lovingly pointed me back to Jesus and have reminded me, Kelly, God's got this. Trust him. He's good. He's worthy of your, of your trust and your praise and your faith. And so what a blessing that that is something that we get to do together. So as we've been encouraged with that tonight, um, just take that time. Think on that. Whatever maybe notes you took or when Rondi was asking to think of something, um, the season of life or the situation, whatever that first thing that went off in your head, just tonight before you go home or before you go to bed, just I encourage you to really actually pray about that. Trust. Maybe that means being really honest before the Lord and saying, I don't want to give that to you. I want it. I want to hold it tightly. I, I know I can do a better job. Maybe just confess that before the Lord tonight. And to trust that he will work that out. Um, and so I just want to have us leave tonight just thinking on those things. Encouraging each other. If there is something that someone you really need to talk about or you need prayer for, please don't leave without getting that. This is the blessing of a time like this together is to be able to do that. And we'd love as your sisters in Christ to be able to do that with you and for you. 
Um, And so I thank you for coming. We thank you for this time together. And I'd love to just close this with some prayer before we finish off the night. Oh, Lord, we truly do just um, thank you that your sovereignty is our sanity. Lord, and our faithfulness is enough. Lord, we believe that. We just ask that you would help our unbelief. We would help, um, that you would help us in our hearts, Lord, to just um, open our palms if they're closed tight, to just open them and to trust you, that you would grant us the ability to do that, that you would help us to realize this, this illusion of control, Lord, is, is not meant to be ours, Lord, that um, you are and you reign. So please help us where we want to say we are and we reign. Lord, thank you for these women. I pray that you did bring comfort and hope in your sovereignty tonight. I pray there's encouragement and conviction where needed. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do. Move this from our head to our hearts, Lord. Help it to take a deep, deep root there to change us from the inside out. Not just for our own selves, but for our families, our marriages, our church families, this watching world, this community right around outside these doors. Thank you for being our good, good, good God. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, we have a little thank you for you, Miss Robbie. Thank you. Am I supposed to do something else? This is what she gives us to me, my friend. Okay, bye. We have more giveaways. Two. Two. These are not leftover giveaways. (laughs) (laughs) They're wrapped in a new bag and everything. Hey. Who's the last one? Uh, Amra. Gloria. Alright. Okay. Okay. Thank you for coming. Feel free to, there's more food, so please feel free to pick away at that table so I don't have to. And um, if you do fill out those sheets just for, this is of course not like automatically signing you up for anything. It's really just to have more of a conversation if you're willing to help us next year with these nights. Um, Maybe just make sure you put it on that um, the check-in table. Leave that so that we have that. Um, that's it. Goodbye. <laughs>